Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains podcast with me, Chris, and today we welcome back Graham Zimmerman. Now, if you missed the interview with him on Wednesday, then go back and listen to that. He is a fantastic guy, full of knowledge and experience. But today we talk about the Pakistani Karakoram. We talk about the kit you need, talk about getting out there. We talk about the fact that he had this as a dream as a kid reading National Geographic and seeing magazines and he's got out there and he's done it. So a really interesting topic. I really hope you enjoy it and if you do, hit subscribe and follow, share it with a friend and let's just get straight into it. So hello Graham, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on again actually. How are you today? Hey, I'm great. Thank you for having me again. It's great to be here chatting with you and uh yeah, all is all is well. I'm in Bend, Oregon. It's a nice sunny day. Um, yeah, all is, all is good. I'm in Wiltshire, UK. It's a lovely sunset going on. So, um, time difference there. But today we're talking about somewhere better than Bend and Wiltshire. We're talking about Pakistani Karakoram, right? We are talking about the Karakoram. And, and there are a lot of great things about Bend. And I'm sure there are a lot of great things about where you live, but... For me, the Karakoram is one of the most special places on the planet. It's a place I'm pretty pretty enamored with. Yeah, it's a place you had as a dream as a kid, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, I guess, yeah, let's just start out with, with a quick kind of description of the Karakoram and, and what it is. Uh, so the Karakoram is a mountain range. Um, it's in Pakistan, but it's also in India and China. I think it also might extend into Afghanistan and maybe Tajikistan just a little bit. Um, and it's, so it's, it's where some of the highest mountains in the world are, um, including K2, which is the second highest. Um, and I think there are four, uh, four 8,000 meter peaks. That's kind of this, this uh, kind of threshold. Like the, there are 14 8,000 meter peaks on the planet. And it's something that it's kind of this threshold that people get pretty, pretty excited about. And so, so it's just, that's just to say that the Karakoram has some of the, some of the highest mountains on the planet. And it's, it's interesting sometimes, you know, sometimes particularly in like old British literature, you'll hear it referred to as part of the greater Himalaya. Um, but I think that, you know, particularly for me as kind of a geography geek, I really do. Um, it, it really is a separate mountain range separated primarily by, um, let's see if I can get this right, separated from the Himalaya by the Indus and Shyok rivers. Um, which uh, which kind of run through China and down into India and Pakistan, um, but it's a uh, but yeah so so it's so it's a it's a distinct mountain range and you know as we talk about the biggest mountains in the world and as we talk about the kind of best mountains for mountain climbing um, for me that's that that place is the Karakoram and they're they're the biggest um, and then also. They tend to be composed of granites or granitoids, which is a type of rock, generally speaking, and that tends to be some of the best rock for climbing on. Um, when you see things like El Capitan, when you see things like much of the Mont Blanc Massif, that's all granite. And, uh, and so a lot of the peaks that we're going to climb in the Karakoram are granite as well. Um, it's a, you know, the fact that it's a really strong, robust rock means that you get these very steep mountains and then you combine that with the fact that these this mountain range is not uh is not affected at least affected as much by the monsoon cycles that um that drive a lot of snowfall during the warmer months into uh the himalaya 
it means that we can go climbing there during the summer. And climbing there during the summer means that it tends to be a little bit warmer, which is nice and is um, much better for technical climbing for obvious reasons. And, uh, and it also means that we tend to be dealing with a little bit less snow there, which is, which is really good, A, for the kind of quality of climbing because deep snow climbing is kind of the worst. And, and also <laughs> snow represents danger in the mountains a lot of times. Um, there, it's kind of the, one of the primary uncontrollable factors in the big hills. Um, you know, other things, of course, are like seracs and weather and all that. But by removing a lot of a lot of that hazard that comes from snow, certainly not all of it, but a lot of it, it means it means that in many ways, when we're looking for those big steep objectives in the Karakoram, and if we're predominantly looking at things that stick out that are uh, convexities, then we can be looking at things that are, you know, big, that offer great climbing, that are steep, and in many ways can be considered a little more safe. And then while we're climbing on them, we can be a little more warm. And those are all those are all kind of like exactly what we're looking for. And it's why it's been a place that um, I've been thinking about for a very long time, um, ever since I was introduced when I was a kid, and uh, and now is the place where I am primarily focused on climbing. First of all, can I just say it's amazing to have a guy with glacial hydrology degree on uh, to talk about this because just just got a geek here term. to talk with. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The terminology coming out is is tickling, but um, <laughs> but yeah. As far as going back to the passion as having a kid, then I'm interested to know: was it a school book you read, or was it a little bit older as a teenager? You're chatting with friends or in a magazine? Gosh, let's see. So I, I there are kind of two things that come to mind um there was a national geographic article in which gosh i wish i could remember who it was i think gordon wiltsy maybe shot it i could be wrong about that though but it was about climbing in the trango trango group and that came out uh around high school and then i also saw photos of uh the trango peaks and a few other of the kind of like major peaks around the uh around the uh baltoro region which is generally speaking, kind of where the biggest peaks in the Pakistani Karakoram are. I saw those in high school. And I remember this is when I was just getting into climbing. Um, I was, I, I first went rock climbing, at least outside when I was like 15 years old. And, and so I remember seeing those peaks and just thinking, wow, that looks like the coolest thing I could possibly do. And there was no, I don't think there was any sense of, maybe I could do that or I should do that. It was just like the sense of awe at that geography. And then as I got further into climbing, um, you know, I got exposed to kind of more of the kind of contemporary climbing literature. A lot of that was um, the, you know, the exploits of Steve House, of Steve Swenson, Mark Twight. And, and those guys were spending a lot of time in the Karakoram. Um, Mark Twight had an amazing attempt on Nanga Parbat. Steve House has done a lot of really great climbing in the Karakoram, as has, of course, Swenson. And I didn't know those guys at all at the time. Um, but they were, even at that point, a big influence for me. And and for me, you know, I kind of saw these things we were doing. I saw photos of these amazing mixed pitches over granite in these wild environments up in this kind of like high desert mountain range of the Karakoram. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it sculpted a lot of 
what I wanted to get at. And and as I progressed as a climber, I, I spent a lot of time climbing in New Zealand, and then I spent a bunch of years very focused on Alaska and very focused on Patagonia and, and did some things that I was really proud of in those areas. But in many ways, it was kind of building up to be able to go to the Karakoram. Um, that was something that, it was something that, you know, if you would ask me when I was 25 years old and taking like two or three expeditions a year to the Alaska range, if you would ask me like, oh, will you go to the Karakoram? I, I, I would have said, oh, I'd love to, but I don't know if I ever will. Um, it's a place that um, politically is, is pretty challenging and, and it's expensive and those mountains are huge. And, um, you know, and it's, you know, I know that the mountains of Alaska are also very big, but, you know, they're a simple plane flight away from my, from my house versus, versus the other side of the world in Pakistan. So, so it was, it was a place that I really kind of built, built up to. And, um, and I actually started trying to go to Pakistan in 2013. And at that point, there was a lot of political unrest. Um, it's when there was a, there was actually an event in the Nango Parbat area, which is kind of, kind of a little bit away from the rest of the, uh, the rest of the range. Um, and, uh, and actually I think, I think Nango Parbat is actually in, uh, Nango Parbat is in Pakistan, but I think it's actually south of the Indus. So it's therefore in, um, the Himalaya. It's like the far, far, um, west edge of the Himalaya. But, um, as we, um, you know, we were preparing for that trip and there was, there was a, there were a bunch of climbers were murdered in, in that area. And it basically just like made it so we didn't go, didn't, you know, like at that point it was like, no, we can't, I, I can't, I can't justify going there. And, um, and, oh, you know what? Shoot. I'm getting my, I'm getting my dates a little bit wrong. In 2013, we were going to go and then we just didn't get, we didn't get the permit. And then 2014 was when the Nanga Parbat murders were, I'm just double checking this because I should, I. Mm. Fair saying on mine is that the mountains are not going to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So the, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so it looks like, uh, so it looks like it was 2012 that I originally tried to go, but we didn't get a permit. 2013, we were all geared up to go. And on both of those trips, we were going to go try a peak called Takahu Ratam, which is this amazing rock tower. And then, and then uh, in 2013, we didn't go because of these murders. And, uh, and then, and, and basically at that point, I, I kind of said like to myself, you know, unless somebody who really knows what they're talking about tells me that it's okay to go to Pakistan and can do so in a way that's really convincing to me that I'm probably never going to go. And in the end of 2014, Steve Swenson, who is, probably the most experienced Karakoram alpinist, certainly in the United States, probably in the world, um, asked me if I wanted to go on an expedition with him. And <laughs> I said, okay, you have to convince me. And to be honest, you probably have to convince my mom and my girlfriend that it's okay <laughs> to go to Pakistan now. And, uh, and he laid it out for me. We, like, we dug into what was going on politically there, where we were going, where that violence had taken place. Um, all, he, he just like took me through the whole, the whole shebang and I felt good about it. I was able to convince Shannon and, uh, 
you know, maybe mom didn't, I, I, I don't know if mom was actually that into it, but she's very supportive. So she said she was, she said she was, and I went, I went with Steve. Um, and that was my, that was in 2015, my first expedition to the Karakoram after, you know, probably, uh, 15 years of dreaming about going there. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to, to jump in between that dream and actually getting there which is when you were climbing all these new routes in Alaska and just all over the world, why, did you ever in the back of your mind think, oh, this, is, this would be good training for the Karakoram, or oh, maybe this will come in handy when, when, if I go, ever go to the Karakoram? Was it ever in the back of your mind, or was it just so blanked out, a bit like my dream of Everest, <laughs> that you're probably not going to go, yeah. um, that you were, just, you were just focused on the task? That's a really interesting question. And I think that as I look back at how I've gotten at most things in my life. Um, one, th- one thing that I think was a real gift for me was this kind of notion of building progressions. And that, that was something that showed up for me really, really early on. I think actually if I were to like try to, try to pin down exactly where I was, I remember so when I was um, in early, I guess maybe when I was like middle school, so when I was like 14, I started teaching skiing and snowboarding and through that went through a lot of um kind of teaching courses got like different certifications and things and and that really taught and like a big a big component to that and i think a big component for a lot of teaching is like you know starting with something you know like okay so somebody wants to like do do something like snowboard and snow or snowboard well and and so that's you know that's your goal so let's put that at like letter d and then you have these sub goals of A, B, C, they get you to the point where you can achieve that. And just that like really, really basic idea of you have this goal, but you can't go straight there. You have to figure out what the, what the progression points are that sit between where you are and that thing. And, uh, and so that's something, that's something that I've applied uh, kind of across, across the board in my life. Um, whether we're talking about climbing or careers or relationships or whatever. Um, and, uh, and so with, with climbing, um, you know, I, I, I think that when I was climbing in climbing, when I was climbing a lot in Alaska and I was climbing a lot in, um, Patagonia and some other places, um, I had, I had a notion that I was making progress. Um, I, I don't know if I could have, I don't know, like looking back at it now, it seems pretty obvious that I was working towards going to those bigger mountains in the world. Um, but for me, the other, the other kind of component is that like the, the process itself with climbing is so cool that oftentimes I'll find myself just totally enamored with that, with that kind of, with that process, with that kind of like learning that practice so climbing for me has never really been something where it's like okay like my goal is this thing out here so i'm gonna like do these things to lead up to it um even though looking back you can't kind of put it into that framework um but climbing itself has always been just such a cool activity and something i've loved so much that oftentimes when i'm out doing it i'm not really thinking about like this is what i need to do to do the next thing it's more like this is awesome. I am just really enjoying where I'm at right now and what the things I'm able to achieve in this moment. For sure. And I wanted to ask as well, 
how excited were you when you were heading out to the Karakoram for the first time? When, when, <laughs> if right from the moment when you put down the phone saying, yes, I'll do it. Uh, yeah. Um, I was very excited. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's funny to kind of like revisit that point. Um, I think Steve originally brought up the idea in the parking lot of the climbing gym. We had been like climbing together and, uh, like hey you know would you want to go to the Karakoram? i was like yes <laughs> i would um and yeah i mean i yeah and i it's funny because like you know and it seems like you know some you know in some ways there would be like a peak of excitement but my excitement about the Karakoram is really not diminished at all i mean like, you know i've now been on a number of trips there spent a lot of a lot of time there and as i think about the next trip i'm just as fired up just as excited um it's just and it's and i guess the thing that's the thing that's developed is like my knowledge of that space so i maybe have a little less intimidation around it and more excitement about the community members that uh i get to hang out with when i'm there uh but certainly that just kind of core spark of being really fired up to go to those mountains is is still very much present and uh sure. it's something that was ignited immediately for sure and you mentioned you saw steve in the gym gym parking lot and your yeah. training you said it in an interview once that the only reason to skip training is to go climbing uh, <laughs> so kind of a question about what your training routine is but just to keep it tailored to the Karakoram, did you change anything in what you were doing to prep for Karakoram? Or did you just keep straight on the routine? Yeah. Um, uh, okay, so interesting question. You know, I think that it's kind of, and I'm going to kind of answer it in two parts. I think that first off, like when I say that, climb, you know, the only reason to skip training is for climbing is, is something that is, I think, um, it's kind of interesting about like when you start to try to get really good at something. Um, you have to let, you know, some components kind of fall off. So for me, um, like I love rock climbing. Rock climbing is really, really good fun. And it's something that I, you know, that I work, work pretty hard at. Um, you know, I've rock climbed a lot. I lived in Yosemite for a bunch of years. Evidently. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's something, it's, it's something that I really dig. Um, but to be honest, the you know if i you know the the fitness that i need to go and climb a hard pitch at smith rock near where i live and to go climb a big peak in the karakoram those those two types of fitness almost couldn't be more different and it's kind of it's almost kind of hilarious that like you know from like you know if you if you look from a far enough um vantage point that like it's all climbing it's like oh you know somebody who can climb a really hard rock pitch can probably climb Mount Everest or whatever. And, 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 the, and, the, and it couldn't really be further from the truth. So for me, when I'm training for an objective in, you know, whether it's Alaska or, or Pakistan or whatever, um, you know, it tends to be that, uh, that I'm not really doing that much fun climbing. Um, it's certainly ice climbing and mixed climbing are a large component of that. Um, but the, but the climbing that I'm, tra the training climbing I'm doing is like lots and lots of volume on things that are not the hardest thing that I can do. 
Um, and certainly being able to climb hard is an important component, but as you start to go up in elevation, as you start to look at longer routes, your ability to just handle to handle uh, tons of load in terms of activity becomes far more important. So, so you know, so like right now, um, I guess right now I just had knee surgery, so I'm I'm mostly just uh, hangboarding in the garage. Um, but uh, <laughs> so, just kind of <laughs> sort of whatever. But um, but uh, you know, it's about but um, but you know, like right now, it's like kind of where I'm at in the cycle, generally speaking, I'd be doing a lot of rock climbing. I'm trying to stay pretty thin. I'm like working my finger strength and my balance and my my mobility and my flexibility. And uh and that stuff's all really fun and it's and I and I always, you know, I try to achieve with rock climbing and all that. But as we get closer to an expedition, I will start doing a lot more things like just getting onto a climbing wall with like a heavy pack on and climbing for like 30 minutes straight. Or putting on a really heavy pack and like walking up and down a steep loose hill, um, or you know doing long endurance workouts before breakfast, like while fasted and stuff like that. And that stuff, you know, that stuff is not really going to the category category of fun for me. I do kind of <laughs> get a masochistic kick out of it, and I do. And since I am so like kind of fired up on the whole progression thing, I do I do kind of enjoy it. But but it's not like going rock climbing. Like going rock climbing is just, you know just straight you know straight up good fun. Um, yeah. But you know so, so that's so that's that's kind of where that dichotomy shows shows up. I might have kind of got away from your question there. Is that <laughs> no? The the only real real tailored bit of it you you talk plentiful about training it was more just did you change it for the Karakoram? Oh, um, no, I think that, I think that for the Karakoram, I, am um, so as, as I have, um, progressed as a climber, you know, being kind of an athlete has become more and more part of that. And for me, there have been a couple components to that, you know, as I've, as I have become a, you know, kind of a, a, like finger quoting athlete, um, you know, the way that I eat has become more important, the way that I train, the advice I get on training. I, I work with, I work with a trainer, um, these days who like helps me, um, you know, kind of design workouts and like really like helps me kind of like drives much power from my body as I can. Um, and so that's, so certainly like my ability to train and the way I train and the way I've designed the rest of parts, my parts of my life in terms of like, uh, you know, what I eat, my consumption of alcohol, how much I sleep, um, how much I stretch, train, all that stuff, like, has developed, and there's been a progression in that in the same way there has been with my climbing. So, so you know, and, you know, my, tr my training now is certainly much more refined than it used to be. I don't think that's been specifically for the Karakoram. It's just something that's kind of developed as my climbing has developed. And so I'd say mm. that my climbing has developed towards the Karakoram, and so you could say that my training has developed towards the Karakoram as well, but it's, it's really been just kind of in parallel. Perfect. So last thing before we get to the Karakoram finally, which is <laughs> packing your kit to get there. Quite a lot of kit, I imagine. And do you have any tips at all about how you go about making sure you've got everything? <laughs> so you're not on the plane going, oh, crap, my boots. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's, you know, like get to the get to the mountain and forget your sunnies or something. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, 
so it's funny because something that I think is very helpful is, um, you know, you see, you see people post those, those photos of like their gear all nicely laid out. <laughs> and it's like this thing that sponsors love because you can see all the gear. Yeah, and it's like this, it's this kind of like social media thing. Um, but it's really helpful. And being ultra organized with that. And what I'll oftentimes do is I will pack it. I'll like, I'll get everything together and I'll lay it out in the garage like that. And I'll leave it there for like, for like a week. And I'll just like walk out there and like for like an hour a day, I'll just kind of walk around and like look there and, you know, and, and just give myself a ton of time to just kind of look over it and add stuff or maybe like, Oh, maybe I don't want that one. I'll bring this one or, you know, just, just kind of slowly, poke at it and then by the time i actually put it in the bags i know it's all there um and the other thing that since i go to the karakoram pretty regularly and I've, I've done this with other mountain ranges as well um i actually have a bunch of gear that lives there so i have this i have like a spreadsheet of exactly what is in my gear cache over in over in pakistan and um and that means that, you know, there's a certain amount of stuff that I don't have to travel with. So a lot of things like um, I have a whole bunch of tents and stoves and some kind of older, older ropes and a bunch of pitons, um, a bunch of just kind of like the little dumb little camping stuff that you want you know, like you know i have like like little little like twinkle lights that go in my tent that are so nice <laughs> scan, but like, i don't want to fly back and forth across the world with that stuff um so that that stuff all just lives over there um i have a bunch of like solar panels over there and stuff like that um and so so that just makes it that that also kind of makes it a little easier in terms of um drag just dragging stuff around for and, sure. and it's funny actually you'll this is a total tangent but you'll enjoy this that uh <laughs> um so back to when i was about uh gosh i was probably 16 or 17 and i actually came down to smith which i was living i was i grew up in seattle so i was about six hours away um so i actually came down to where i live now and um and one of my like mega heroes this guy steve house um who's now who's now a friend um but at the time i think i had been at like one seminar that he had put on and I, you know, I, like asked him some questions, which had been a really big deal. And uh, <laughs> and and I saw him there, and I said hi, and he seemed to remember who I was, and he was nice to me, and it was just like mind blowing. And uh, <laughs> and I came back, and I I told my mom, I was like, oh, mom, I like, I you know, uh, I I I bumped into Steve House while I was down there, and I think he remembered who I was, and he was nice to me. Oh my gosh, it was like the best thing ever. And uh, and. Mom's like, oh, cool. So this is like one of the really, really famous alpinists of America. That's so cool. You know, does he live down there? She kind of started asking questions about him. And uh, and I was like, oh, that's well, that's the best part, mom. He lives in his he lives in his car and just drives around to climbing areas. And then he has a storage locker in Pakistan where he does all this climbing. And it was really funny. My mom will will recount that as when she had to totally recalibrate what her son wanted to do with his future. Um, Cause I think she had been like, Oh, he might like, maybe he like lives in a nice house in Oregon and goes climbing. And I'm like, no, he, he lives in a white van. Isn't that just like the best thing ever? And mom's like, Oh my God, my son wants to live in a van and maintain an apartment where he keeps a bunch of crap in a remote part of Pakistan. Like what is going on? 
<laughs> and uh and it's and she she teases me about that now and when it comes up that you know now like i have a storage unit in pakistan um but she thinks it's better that i have a house <laughs> yeah <laughs> i can relate though i've been on the other end of it the gym i train at is where uh a quite a quite a big strongman guys trains as well. He's, um, they call him big laws. He was Europe's strongest man in 2016. So he's quite a big status. Um, and it's so funny. I saw him at a fitness convention years ago and I, and I bumped into him. I was like, Oh, Lars, how you doing? And he's like, Oh, Hey Chris, how you doing? Like sort of had a quick chat with him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, only two minutes though. Cause he, he was, he was with his sponsor and he, there's a big queue of people waiting to see him, which I didn't quite get. <laughs> I turned around and as I was walking away behind, I heard a guy going, Oh, Lars, such a pleasure to meet you. You're such an inspiration. <laughs> And I was just like, oh god, I thought he's just the guy in my gym. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so it's like the, the reverse. So they're just, they're just, they're just real people. It's you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, always, that's the that's the the great ruse of celebrity. Um, but that's cool. I love that. <laughs> so Carol Corum then. So your your kit's packed. You've been staring at it for hours on end each day. Yep. <laughs> and you've got there. What was the first day like? Oh, well, okay, so it, I'll just kind of take you through the, like, the progression. So generally, um, yeah. I'll fly from the small airport near where I live, um, and I'll fly up to Seattle. There's this amazing uh, Seattle to Dubai direct flight. It's like this 14-hour flight with Emirates that just kind of, you just kind of sit down and pass out on a plane and wake up on the far side of the world, which is pretty unreal. And, um, and then it's Dubai to um islamabad and generally and so we get to islamabad those flights tend to arrive at some ungodly hour it's always like 1 30 in the morning so you get there um you know your your fixer picks you up um it's it's sultan and then and then our other pal who has name i'm totally forgetting they they work with um nazir sabir exhibition expeditions we've been working with for a long time and uh and then and then we uh and then take us to our hotel you sleep for a few hours and then generally you have about 48 hours in islamabad um and your jobs there are to exchange money and um and then it's in islamabad just because it is kind of where all of the um, embassies and things are that you can buy a lot of food that you can't buy elsewhere in the country um, or it's a little harder to find. So we'll go and you can buy like, you can buy stuff like pasta sauce or Snickers bars or dark chocolate and all that kind of stuff. And so you'll go to this, there's this one store we call it, it's got another name, but we just called it the Western store. Um, <laughs> so go in there and we'll spend like, we'll spend a whole bunch of money on just kind of like nice things to eat. Um, and it means that, that it really saves us a ton of money. Um, it saves us a ton of money in terms of like having to fly things across the world. And, um, and then, and then we'll at that point. So once we have our money exchanged and we've, uh, kind of taken care of all of our logistics there, there's also lots of times some like kind of government meetings we have to go to and things like that. And then we'll, um, we'll generally throw all of our stuff on a Jeep or truck, um, and then send that off driving towards the town of Scardu, which is a 24 hour Jeep ride. Um, and generally we will fly. And the reason we fly is that the, you know, when you're driving on that road, there are some points where you're driving through areas that are just a little bit questionable when it comes to, uh, being Americans traveling through Pakistan. You're kind of, you're getting a little bit close to some of the, you know, kind of the Afghan border and some of that stuff over there. Um, 
And people are saying now that that's 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 and that's what's known as the Karakoram Highway is, is that drive. And people are saying now that the Karakoram Highway is safe to drive on, but it's kind of been a deal that I've made with Shannon and and uh, that that we fly because it just it's basically our only point of exposure to um, you know sectarian violence and things like that during our trip, um, and we can just we can just fly. And avoid that. And the flights don't cost that much money. The problem with the flight is generally that if there's bad weather, then the planes don't go. So there are the, there are these horror stories of people waiting like a week and a half to fly, um, which is something I've never actually experienced. I've actually never been bumped off a flight due to weather. And they are flying larger planes over there now, so it's even easier. Um, and then also, like, you know, you spend all this time training. A great way to, like, just totally wreck your body is to sit in a bumpy Jeep for 24 hours. So... Um, so that means we arrive and you know we fly to Scardu and we arrive there, arrive there um, somewhat fresh, fresh-ish, and uh, and then it's and Scardu is the point where we do where we kind of meet up with our whole team that we're going to be in base camp with. So that's our our, our friends from Hushe, Rasul and Nadim and Fida Ali, and uh, and then we have we have a whole bunch of friends who in Scardu at this point. So it's it's always kind of like a big family family reunion when we get there, and. Um, and uh, and then and then we go buy a bunch more food. We go buy all our flour and all of our rice and all of that kind of stuff. And and we get that's where our gear cache is. Um, so we get in there and like get out all the stuff we need. Kind of reorganize everything. At that point, lots of times we'll actually organize everything so it's all set for uh, for porter loads. So you have to like make kind of separate things out so they're in the correct way for the porters. And then. You put everything on jeeps, and you head for head for the hills, and you're basically heading to, um, you know, kind of like what 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 would be the equivalent of our trailhead. Um, we don't really refer to it as as such, but just kind of the point where the road ends and you start walking. Yeah, and that's uh, and you're on you're on your way at that point. And when you're you know when you're on that final drive um, out to, you know, kind of the end of the road is like. That's really when it feels like things are starting. You're you're leaving civilization. You're leaving the Wi-Fi. You're leaving the showers. You're kind of like you're you're headed you're headed into the wild, and it always feels really good. Um, no, I was going to say you point, must have quite a buzz when in that when you're leaving that the final stage, packing up the jeeps. There must yeah. be a real good underlying excitement. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've been talking about like packing back in the states and that taking a week, and you know, inevitably there's just a ton of work stuff to do as well, and all of that, and it just kind of it all just, just you know those those weeks before you go are like just no matter how much planning you do, they're always just hectic, and uh, and and it's like that's when you're just like cool, life is simplifying, we are headed to the mountains. And it's just, it's awesome. Perfect. So you're at your quote trailhead. <laughs> the Karakoram, then. Yeah, you're the trailhead. You know, looking at huge mountains. And yeah, uh, absolutely. I suppose let's let's start with that first question we were chatting about beforehand, yeah. which is when when you first got there, how did the peaks in National Geographic and in those books and your imagination compare? to when you're actually there looking at them with your own Mark 1 eyeballs. What is, what, is, what is it like kind of like when you're 
like it, it going from imagination to reality kind of thing yeah so how, how does it compare from from seeing it in pictures and in books and just thinking oh wow that looks awesome to actually being there and seeing it with your own eyes i mean it's it's interesting because once you're yeah it's I mean, it's kind of the best it's um it's it's funny because i i i'm thinking about this thinking like is there a point where you're like oh now we're here and in many ways you never really stop during an expedition um you're always you're always working towards something you're never it's never like there's never any sense of like you know if you go on a beach vacation you you kind of like sit there and you like bathe in a moment you're like oh i'm gonna spend like three days on the beach so i'm just gonna chill out and it's like on these expeditions you're never you never do that you're always like maybe you have like a day of that like i don't know sort of on your way out but you're still like you're like you're going to base camp and then you're going to advanced base camp and then you're trying to figure out how to climb the peak and then you're clearing everything off the peak and then you're clearing out base camp and then you're headed home and that you know that's oversimplified oversimplified and it's something that takes like three months but um but you know it's it's funny when you're sitting there and you're like looking at a photo of something when i was sitting there and i was looking at photos of linksar i would just kind of be like quietly like picturing what it would be like to be there and that would be a space you know, I'd be like, it, I'd be taking a moment of quiet space here at home and like imagining that. Whereas, and that's not really a place of action. That's a place of imagination. That's a place of, um, you know, kind of essentially escaping from, you know, whatever, whatever's going on at home. Um, mm. Not that I need to escape from what's at home, but, but, uh, but, um, but instead when you're there, the difference is that you're in a place of action. You're in a place of movement. You're working you're like putting in the hours to get the thing done because these projects don't complete themselves. There is no, there's really no time when, you know, like when you're like sitting back and progress is just kind of happening. Like you just, you have to work for every inch. And, uh, which is like one of the kind of one of the really amazing things about it. Um, and, and so, uh, and so that's, you know, that's, the, that's the difference is like, you're sitting at home and you're kind of picturing it like, oh, that looks amazing. And when you're there, you're just, you're doing, mm. you're, you're in the thick of it. You're, you're just like engaged wholly. And, and that feels really good. Yeah, for sure. So at this point, it's probably a good time to start talking about how the mountains were and some of your highlights. Sure. <laughs> if you'd like uh, to <laughs> oh gosh i mean the mount the, the mountains of the karakoram uh i had like I, I generally try to go to areas with like not just like peaking expectations and based on the amount of time i'd spent thinking about the karakoram that was kind of impossible with that place um but i'm very happy to say that it did not disappoint and in fact exceeded my expectations dramatically um i mean those mountains are they're 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 amazing they are so big they're like indescribably huge and 
they te- you know, there are lots of times they're very like pointy and steep. They're kind of like, you know, you, we use the, uh, the kind of classic trope of like, oh, it's a mountain like a child would draw. And that's, that's something that's very true in the Karakorum. It's just like, like with some like bits of snow coming down and some bits of ice mm. and rock. It's like just these pointy, amazing hills and uh and and yeah and they're and they're and they tend to not be very easy to climb which is part of the part of the draw um they tend to require a lot of patience and observation when it comes to figuring out how to actually get up the damn thing um which is something i like something i really something that really kind of turns me on with that so that sort of thing is like a com you know these complex problems and uh, and all that you know, so all that kind of combines to to make them, um, yeah, to make them pretty pretty perfect as far as I'm concerned. And when you're going out there as someone who's yet to do an expedition, um, you know, even I, we were talking before, I, I booked on to do Mount Kazbek next year, and even then, I wouldn't say that's an expedition. I guess because I've got a guide, and I'm just walking up and down, so. <laughs> Still, so it's, it's, still it's still a uh, it's still an expedition, man. Don't 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 oh, worry. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> but when you go out to the Karakorum, do you ever go out there and you're just climbing multiple mountains, or is it more like Linksar, where you go out there with a focus of one and you tackle it and then you you go home? Well, I yeah, I um, have gone out there always with like pretty clear objectives, and mm. one reason why that's important in, in Pakistan in particular is. Uh, is you have to get permits for all these things, um, or you have to get permits for a lot of them, um, particularly um, peaks that are over um, peaks that are over uh, sixty five hundred meters tall, and uh, and most of the objectives that I've been kind of going after are over sixty five hundred oh. meters tall. Oh, um, and so so that so that means that um, that I'm pretty. That I'm pretty focused on, you know, these things where I really have to do a lot of work just to get permission to go there, and um, and so that's you know that's that's pretty that's pretty interesting for me because um, uh, because you know it means I have to make a lot of choice before I actually get there, and lots of times I'll try to set myself up so that I have a few options to work with. There's some kind of backup plans and things like that, but um, but it's not you know if I go to Yosemite. Um, I guess lots of times when I go to Yosemite these days, I have a pretty clear objective, but you, know, you can still kind of go, you can go spend like three weeks in Yosemite and just be like, oh, I'm just going to climb like all the good stuff or I'm going to go, you know, or I'm going to go to Alaska and I'm just going to kind of go window shopping and see what's in. Um, but in the Karakorum, you, you, because of the permit process and just because of like the, the diversity of objectives and how big the objectives are and how much time and energy they take to get to and uh, actually try, you tend to need to um, kind of choose before you go, which is, mm. which is fine. And as far as the biggest achievement, would that be Link's off? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, all, all of these things, I, I don't know. Achievement is such a strange thing because, because it's, it's all relative and it's all experiential. And, and, uh, you know, I, I probably feel more comfortable with somebody else saying like, what my greatest achievement is because I, I don't know for me it's like so personal each of these climbs that i've been on has so much value that uh that it's you know kind of hard to say one is better than the other particularly when you're looking at the top few and and we've had a 
we've had a number of really good climbs in Pakistan. But but uh, but I guess you know when I look at Linksar, when I look at the partnership that was required, the planning that was required, the actual challenge of the climbing itself, um, you know, all those things add up to to something that uh, that I'm very proud of and uh and that that i'm really like thankful that i was able to engage with i mean it was a really amazing opportunity with some really some some you know some dear dear friends um on a really amazing objective it's cool can you remember a time that was just the most fun climbing out there Ooh, the time it was most fun well here i'll uh, like on Linksar, um, um, uh, what was most fun on Linksar? The 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 crux climbing down low when we were pretty well acclimatized was pretty dang enjoyable. We climbed through the night. Um, there was a whole bunch of like pretty challenging mixed climbing. It was really good and um, and it was fun. And um, and you know I think that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think so. I think that was probably the most like, you know, like kind of like type one fun. Um, but I know you wanted to talk about altitude a little bit, and I thought I would kind of dig into um, when we were on the the, high, the climbing higher on links are tended to be like deep, dangerous snow that was um, fairly miserable um, and quite dangerous. But uh, but we were high on another peak uh, back in 2015, a peak called K6 West, um, which is also a 7,000 meter peak. Uh, we made the first ascent. This is my buddy Scott Bennett and I of the southwest ridge of that peak, and um, and made the second ascent of the peak. And that was a climb where we were like really well acclimatized, really fit, really dialed in, and the conditions on the route were really good. And I remember when we were up at like uh, getting to the summits. We were on our what one, uh, one two, our third day of climbing on on the route, and. Uh, and Scott was like really Scott had put in a huge effort on the other climb we had done like a week and a half before. Um, I think was still kind of like a little low on the tank because of that. And uh, and he was kind of suffering. You know, he was he wasn't getting altitude sick, but he was like definitely definitely feeling it. And um, and he you know he was kind of he wasn't really in a position to be like just like. Dig, like die, like digging through this kind of like knee deep snow that were the, that kind of dominated the final final few hundred meters. And I remember being up there and just knowing that I had to do that if we wanted to get to the summit of this damn mountain. I had to like I just had to put in the time and effort to just just put you know to like climb up through this steep snow. And uh, and we were right below seven thousand meters. Um, I was like feeling the altitude. And I just like put my head down and like started going uphill and just didn't stop until we got up there. And it certainly wasn't like type one, like joy fun, but it was just like this deep sense of determination and like having the, you know, having the fuel in the tank and the power from training to like get it done. And, uh, and just, you know, just really like everything was operating really well. And it's just, I just, it was this amazing feeling of just like, just, 
just getting getting it getting it done and getting yeah. to the top of this mountain and it felt it felt really really good yeah for sure and you're someone who, who is quite well known for being safe as when you're climbing so i'm interested to know have you ever been at a point where you, you have to come down because of the altitude and just, and just take more time to rest or is because of how methodic you are doing expeditions do you always make sure you're acclimatized before pushing further um that's a really interesting question in the sense that like i don't think i've ever had to i've certainly like made decisions like well beforehand that we weren't going to go higher than a certain height um based on how acclimatized we were um and so i think that being kind of like preemptively conservative has been very helpful for me so i've never actually got myself into a position where it was like oh you know, oh, like if we if we push, like maybe we'll maybe we'll get sick, but maybe we'll make it to the top. I've never I've never actually put myself in a position where need, where I needed to do that. Um, and I think that you know when we look at safety, and we and I, I really appreciate you saying that I'm going somebody's safe. That makes me feel really good. Um, hmm. But I think that um, a lot of that is understanding, you know, kind of how to make those decisions well before rather than having to make them in the moment. Um, because when you have to make those things in the moment, you're operating under the external pressures of what you want to do and what your partners want and all that kind of stuff, that makes decision-making a lot harder. Um, mm. You can be far, far more um, reasonable and systematic and that kind of thing when, uh, when, you're, when you're a little further away from the actual decision-making point. Yeah. And I think that's, and, that's true with altitude, and I, I try to do that with a lot of other stuff too. Well, I, I attended a seminar with uh, a guy I've, in, I've interviewed on here before called John Gupta, and he said that one of the things he talked about in that seminar was why it's always a good idea to turn around even if you're just 100 meters from the summit. Because he says you don't think about distance, you think about time. That's you know half an hour more up to the summit, however long at the summit, and then coming back down again. And out of yeah. nowhere, you're looking at an hour plus of increasing your altitude sickness. And I suppose when you're a climber, if you're gonna have cerebral edema, that's drunkenness that you're dealing with and how are you gonna manage a rope <laughs> when you're yeah. incoherent. I mean that's and that's that's I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, you gotta yeah, you're you are you are you are mentally incapacitated to some to some degree. So like you wanna mm. be able to make those decisions well before you actually get to it. Besides, we talked about in the interview sleeping in interesting places. So even if it means just sleeping on the side of a mountain somewhere and just taking another day to rest, it's quite nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and there are those moments. I mean, I said that you're always moving uphill um, and you're always like progression oriented on these trips. But you do have moments like particularly during the acclimatization, uh, the acclimatization phase where, you know, you're like you're kind of hanging, hanging out. You're hanging, hanging out, waiting for waiting to acclimatize, waiting for good weather. And those are, those are pretty, those are, those are precious moments for me. Um, because those are, you know, we we're so, we're so driven these days. There's always more to do. And, um, having those moments when, uh, you know, instead we can sit back and focus on, you know, thinking, thinking about the objective or thinking about life or thinking about whatever, um, is really valuable. And those are, I really, that's something I really appreciate from these trips and something I really, really love digging into. 
Yeah, I mean, talking about kicking back as well, in another podcast you mentioned how when you went off to Alaska, uh, which was, I think it was the expedition that then became the first ascent of the Northeast Buttress of okay. Mount Lawrence. Uh-huh. You mentioned how you left the chocolate and whiskey in the cache. Oh, God, that was miserable. <laughs> Does oh, the whiskey man. ever come out in the Karakoram? Well, it's, it's important to first note that uh, Pakistan is the um, Islamic Republic of Pakistan, and um, drinking is illegal there. Um, but occasionally a small amount of whiskey will end up in base camp. Um, but we don't really drink very much, you know, to be honest, like drinking is pretty, like pretty miserable for athletic performance. Mm. So you don't want to like, you definitely don't want to like invite while you're out there, but particularly when like the trip's done, it's pretty nice to have a, a, a you know, a wee, a wee dram or, or whatever. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because I, I think stifling a headache on summit day uh, isn't. No, no, isn't no. Really yeah, you know, I, you know, <laughs> like you know, climbing is for sure a very like athletic pursuit, and you do not want to be. Uh, yeah. You, you don't. You don't. You don't want to be. Um, worrying about, <laughs> you know, like a hangover while you're out there. For sure. So before we get to some wrap-up questions, uh, and yeah. um, we could probably do another podcast in the Karakoram, to be honest with you, but is there anything else that you'd like to say or we need to know before we move to an end? Well, I think, you know, I, I do think that one important thing to say is that um, when we talk about going to Pakistan, I I wholeheartedly encourage people to go visit Pakistan. It is amazing. Um, you definitely, you know, like anywhere it's a place where you need to be, you need to be informed about where you're going. And when I talk about me going to Pakistan, I'm talking about going to Islamabad and then going up North to Gilgit Baltistan. And there are parts of Pakistan, just like there are parts of New York city that you really don't want to go to. And, uh, and so as we're talking about these areas, I would, I, I would encourage people to go there, but know where you're going, have your ducks in a row, Make sure that you are being culturally respectful um, in terms of, you know, like, you know, with women wearing something like a hijab is, you know, not a terrible idea for guys. Um, you know, like I don't wear short shirts or like I don't wear T-shirts or um, short, like short pants in town. I don't I don't put on short, you know, it's like it'll be hot, but like um, but I don't wear shorts until we're like way up in base camp. Um, and you know, and like, you know, it's like kind of stay away from pork products and stuff like that. Like be culturally respectful while you're there and all that stuff as well. Um, and I think it's, I think it's an area that really lends itself to, you know, people who want adventure and people who are willing to invest the time and energy in both the culture and the geography so that you can, and if you do those things, I think you can travel there very safely. First wrap-up question then, and you've covered this elsewhere, but just in case people haven't listened to those places, I really liked your honesty, uh, on, even on things like the Stokecast, where you were talking about balancing, you know, climbing and life and career. Uh, I liked that you said you weren't full of ego going, yeah, nail it all. But I also liked the alternative approach you, you were taking to actually you were making calls to home, and as opposed to other guys who are just going all out and not not contacting home whatsoever a bit more deeply from you 
is how do you go about balancing home with when you're out on expedition? So it's that generic sort of balancing question, but from the aspect of being out there rather than from the aspect of planning and you're at home. Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of we're looking at like, while well, I'm actually gone. I do, I do make sure to call Shannon, make sure she's clued in on what's going on. Um, you know, we, we, we talk a lot. Shannon's my wife, by the way. Um, and, uh, and we talk a lot about, um, you know, like when I'm on an expedition, it is not a time when our relationship is growing. It's not a time when like we're progressing in our relationship. And that's, that's really like unachievable. All, what we're trying to do is just not lose too much ground in terms of our relationship. And that's something that we communicate, you know, very clearly about, which, which works really well. And I, I'm really thankful that Shannon's willing to engage on that front. And, um, and, uh, and, you know, and I, and I do everything I can while I'm there. I like schedule a bunch of flower deliveries before I go. I make sure and call her regularly. I will, um, you know, write her cards, try to get cards in the mail, just do everything, like do everything that I can in order to try to, you know, maintain that relationship. Um, but then the other, you know, as we kind of zoom out, um, which I think is really the important thing is like, it's, you know, it's, it's a big deal that she's willing to put up with me leaving for the Karakoram for three months. That's something that's like, you know, it's a big, it's a big gift that she has for me in our relationship. And, um, and what that means is that I, I need to be really respectful of that. And I need to make sure that I, you know, define, if I'm going to define this time that is like solely for me in such a, like, in, in like so much time, you know, um, I need to make sure that I really, when I'm home, I put the time into our relationship and I really, I really work hard on that. And, um, and that's, and that's something I think about a lot is, you know, um, like when I'm there, I'm being a pretty miserable husband. So it's like, I gotta be, I gotta be like, I gotta be a really, I gotta be a really good husband when I'm, when I'm home. And, um, and I think that, you know, and, and not looking at these expeditions as like, this is, this is what I have to do. Uh, and rather looking at this as like, this is something I get to do. And that's something that I am very thankful for. And I'm very, I'm, I'm very thankful that like, um, or I have a lot of gratitude towards Shannon that she's willing to put up with them as well. And, you know, we talk a lot in climbing about like talk minus action equals zero. You know, if you sit around and talk, oh, I'm going to do this route or I, you know, I, I have this thing that I want to do. Like it means nothing unless you go and start working towards that thing. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean like going and immediately doing it. It means, looking at those progression components. And similarly with my relationship with Shannon or a relationship with anybody for that matter, um, talk minus action equals zero. Um, I can tell Shannon that I think she's great, that I love her, but that's really not enough. Like, so these days um, I only go on a really big expedition every other year and every other summer is Shannon's. That's, you know, we go do stuff together. And, and that's in that, and that cadence is something that at least at this point in time is sustainable. And, and that means that, you know, like every other year, like I am tending to what is, you know, realistically the most important thing in my life, my marriage. 
And then, uh, but then every other year I get to go fuck off and go try to climb some big hill. Um, <laughs> and that's, it seems, and it seems to work pretty well. Um, it's, you know, it's not, it's not, whatever. It's not like, it's not perfect. Um, but, but, but it's, but it's all a progression and, um, and it seems to work out and it's, it's fun. I mean, Shannon and I have been on a lot of adventures together at this point. We went and did like a unsupported crossing of the Alaskan peninsula together, which actually ended up to be one of the hardest trips that I've ever been on, which is kind of funny um, since it was Shannon and I, but, uh, but like, you know, that's, that doesn't, you know, it doesn't like mean that Shannon and I just like sit at home together. Um, even though we do, you know, we do hang out at home with our dog. We're certainly doing which that a lot right now. Which is absolutely fine. Um, what's that? Which is still absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. I mean, it's like the best sometimes. But uh, but we do, you know, we do make sure and we do make sure and get out there and get after it and do cool stuff together. And uh, and it's funny. I mean, we could talk about this for hours. But uh, but Shannon's actually a retired professional ultimate frisbee player. Um, she's like two time world champion, which oh, wow. is pretty 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 rad. And uh, and so it means that like we don't play frisbee together very well and we don't climb together very well because. They're like we're like the 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 like uh, the ability the like the disparity between our abilities is so big that uh, that like it just you know and the fact that we're both like kind of competitive um, is uh, makes it so it just doesn't work. So we go out and we find like different things to do together. Like we've got a, we've done a bunch of pack rafting and bike packing and stuff like that. that That's you know, awesome. Yeah, things that we both kind of suck at. So we're like yeah, you know, so we can like get better at them together. Yeah, I love that. I love the action behind things as well. I've always been quite a big advocate for that, which is if you say you're going to do something, it, yeah, you're right. It means nothing if, if you're not actually doing it. Yeah, <laughs> so. oh, man, totally. So important. And also, I like the... Uh, I was going to ask about the ordering flowers. I didn't know if you were sort of stuck in a blizzard on a sat phone with holding a credit card, <laughs> placing an order to, uh, to America, ordering, ordering flowers, or if, uh, or if you sort of pre-scheduled them. Before, you know. Oh no, those are all pre-scheduled. <laughs> oh yeah, just, just shouting down a sat phone. Can you hear me? Trying to deal with like, you know, flowers.com from the Caracorum. That would not. That would not work. <laughs> <laughs> so, second one then. Um, as far as going there for the first time compared to the rest of them, was there one key thing that you thought oh, I'm going to do this differently? Well, I think that you know it's it's interesting. The thing that I will this is less Karakorum, more kind of like bigger expeditions in general. Although it does apply to the Karakorum, you know, so many like when we're talking about smaller climbing trips, we get so hell bent on like ultra light things. Oh, I have this really really light sleeping bag, or I have this really really light sleeping mat, and that is really important when you're on the climb, when you're on a mission. Um, but when you have an established base camp. Like, you know, and this is true in Alaska, this is true in, in uh, the Karakorum, you want to be able to rest really well. And that's really important because sleep and rest are the way that you deal with this huge physical load that you're taking on. Um, and, and so, you know, I remember like on some of my first trips, I would bring like, you know, I just had my like ultralight sleeping mat. And so I'd like show up on a glacier in Alaska, I just have this like, shitty little sleeping mat that like doesn't weigh anything but the weight doesn't matter so like these days i bring like a thick double sleeping mat and i have like a big sleeping bag that i like use as a duvet i even like i even last year had a um 
like a sheet that went over my sleeping mat. So I could like be like a bed. It just made it so I slept better and I recovered better. And the fact that that sheet weighed a few ounces, like, didn't matter at all. Um, and so, like, you know, you don't want to go totally overboard. I'm not, like, bringing a TV to base camp or something like that. But <laughs> but, uh, but really, like, understanding, like, what are the core components that you need in order to achieve when you're looking at a trip that's that long? And a lot of those revolved not just around, like, how light is your, you know, or little climbing widgets, but, like, how well are you able to recover? How well are you able to entertain yourself when things are down, when, when things, when like you're in kind of forced downtime, um, that kind of stuff. And the, like, those can be kind of the secret components that give you the, you know, the mental and physical stamina in order to kind of take on these big objectives. For sure. I quite like that. And last question is in all of your time in the Karakoram, what is one moment that you would love to relive? When we got back down to advanced base camp after climbing Linksar, it was pretty magical. Just the excitement and the sense of achievement. Well, you know, it's the the four of us. This is Steve Swenson, Chris Wright, Mark Ritchie, and and me, and uh, and we had been such a dialed team. We had been so in sync and so dialed in together, just operating as one unit in this really beautiful symbiosis. And, uh, and in that space, we had combined all of our experience and our talent to do this thing that had been tried a whole bunch of times, but had never been achieved before. And we managed to manage to, get to the top of the thing and when we got back down to advanced base camp there was this like hour where we all were like sitting there we had taken our packs off and it was before we called home it was before we really did anything and our our, our pakistani friends who were there um had like cooked a whole bunch of food and we just sat there in the sunshine and it, without our shirts on, without our boots on and just kind of relished in the last moments of that symbiosis before it dispersed into calling loved ones and thinking about the next thing. And, and, and it was really, it was really, it was really special. And it was defined by these like nine really challenging days on this peak. And it was just, Finally, we were able to experience that togetherness without this like oppressive thing that we were trying to get done. And it was also like potentially trying to, you know, make us fail, kill us, whatever. Mm. And all that, all that danger, all that oppressiveness or whatever, not oppressive is the wrong word, but all that, all that. No, it is impressive. Yeah. (laughs) Don't be modest. (laughs) Uh, all that had like dissipated but then we were just left with like each other and it was really special wow that just sounds picturesque it was great and we were sitting there and uh they cooked us like fried chicken and uh what else like fried chicken and french fries this is what they'd cooked we were just like sitting there like gorging on fried chicken and french fries (laughs) 
That's like Usain Bolt's diet before he broke the world record, isn't it? He had chicken nuggets. Did he really? So it's it's a it's a full I think, oh, that's right, yeah, Usain Bolt like doesn't he eat chicken nuggets wherever he goes because it's like the one thing that's like consistent around the world. Yeah, he said in an interview he's like he's like he didn't want any food poisoning before he ra- he raced. So in Beijing he just went to McDonald's and had chicken nuggets, I think. I, know, I can digest this, I got it. That's hilarious. <laughs> Well, listen, Graham, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on again. Thank you so much. Hey, I really, I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is fun. Great conversations, man. I really hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. If you did, then please hit the subscribe and follow button. Share it with a friend who might like it too. And if you want to join in with the community, you can follow at, at BTM Travel Pod on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If you want to come on the show, you can email me btmtravelpod at gmail.com. But otherwise, I hope you have a brilliant day and I will see you in the next one.